iHeartRadio. Welcome to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show. Better than before. An hour of beauty, health, fitness, and lifestyle advice from renowned columnist and author Jane Wilkins Michael and her guests, top experts in their fields. Join Jane's campaign to become better than before. Now, here she is, Jane Wilkins Michael. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show, Better Than Before, on iHeartRadio Talk. I'm Jane. I'm coming to you live from New York City. I want to thank you so much for being with us. And now here she is, the woman who is about to go on a cruise without me, even though she knows I hate cruises, my favorite little mariner, my producer, Lori Houston. Hi, Lori. <laughs> Hi, Jane. You know, you I, I didn't realize that, that I, you leave me for a week. Oh, well, I didn't I realize that I wasn't able to go on it because you didn't like it. I, I'm really sorry about oh. that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm letting you go. But but the probably the reason I have asked Dr. Alice Boys, who's author of the Anxiety Toolkit, who you'll meet after the break to be on the show. Um, and you can imagine she's an anxiety expert. It, so it's too late to get me over the anxiety of being on a cruise ship. However, she'll help me deal with life when you're not around. <laughs> So there, there's, there's, a, there's a theme here. But first, Lori, a very special guest who became one of my favorite people after I interviewed her for my column in Spry Living Magazine. She is Kathy Freston, who I call the Green Goddess, and with good reason. Not only does she look like a goddess, Kathy is a best-selling author with a focus on healthy living and conscious eating. Her latest book, The Lean, a revolutionary and simple 30-day plan for healthy, lasting weight loss, was an instant New York Times bestseller, as were her two previous books, Veganist and Quantum Wellness. Kathy, as you will hear, promotes a mind-body-spirit approach to health and happiness that includes a concentration on a healthy diet, emotional introspection, spiritual practice, and loving relationships, among other disciplines. It's a multifaceted approach, which is similar to what we encourage here at Better Than Before. And she has appeared on Oprah, Dr. Oz, Ellen, Good Morning America, The View, to name a few has been featured in countless magazine articles, and she will also be in my new book, Long Live You, a step-by-step plan to look and feel better than before. And as I mentioned, she is absolutely stunning. I swore that if I could look like her by becoming a vegan, I was willing to give up ripping the crispy jump sticks off a hot Whole Foods chicken as soon as I got it home. Kathy, welcome to the show. (laughs) Wow. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us. <clears throat> well, oh, I haven't quite I, I given up it. those chicken legs, I must say. But as you say in your book, it's a process that doesn't happen overnight. So I'm uh, yep. giving my body a physiological rest before I embark on the next step. <laughs> I believe in progress, not perfection. That's for sure. Right. But now, years ago, being a vegan was Uh, before it was as popular as it is today, a friend of mine said she didn't eat anything that had parents or a face. And and I thought that was a little over the top. But um, as I personally am becoming more aware of not only how animals are treated, but also the health values of eating a cleaner diet. And then speaking to you, I I am definitely beginning to change my mind. So, but how did you make that decision to become a (laughs) vegan? I know it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight, and I came through um, the the sort of ethical door because I had someone, some animal welfare organization had sent me a pamphlet in the mail, and it showed a cow being dragged off to slaughter, and I just thought, oh, God, that's awful. 
And at the time, I was writing uh, about being more mindful and conscious about relationships and meditation and doing self-work and, and, you know, really trying to become more awake and aware. <clears throat> and I realized that the thing that I do three times a day is I sit down and eat. I really was not that awake and aware about how that food got to my plate. And so when I saw that pamphlet, I thought, wow, Kathy, you're kind of going to be a hypocrite if you're talking about waking up and becoming more conscious and you're not even going to look behind the scenes at what happened you know, to the animals to become your food. So I challenged myself to start watching the videos and start reading the behind-the-scenes um, accounts of how animals were raised and slaughtered for food. And I just thought, well, I can't... Uh, I, I can't give up animal foods all at once because I grew up in Georgia. I'm, you know, a lover of chicken fried steak and barbecued ribs and anything, sla you know, slathered in butter and cream. And so I thought, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm just going to set my intention to be someone who doesn't contribute to that kind of suffering, and I'm going to lean into it. And then little by little, I started giving up eating one animal at a time. And I didn't give up, say, eating cows and then substituting it for chicken. I would, I would give up eating cows and I would substitute it with something that was plant-based that was just as delicious. So instead of like a beef burrito or a chicken burrito, I would not move to fish. I would say, I'm going to have a black bean burrito. And so little by little, I would swap out animal foods. And I did it at a pace that was really slow, really comfortable, so I didn't feel deprived. I didn't feel like I was at a loss. You know, I used to believe that you had to have animal protein in order to be slim and strong. So I had to find my footing. And, you know, I, that's why I love your philosophy is just leaning into the better. And that's kind of what I did little by little. And I also love what you had told me that about a decade ago you were playing with your little chihuahua and as you were rubbing its belly you were thinking how much you loved animals and then a little voice inside of you asked, if you love animals so much, what, why are you eating them? What's the difference between a dog and a pig or a cow? Yeah, oh my God, it was like gulp. What do you mean? And I, I, I loved Lotsi, my little chihuahua. I loved her so much and I looked at her and, and I thought about how emotional she gets. You know, I could see her anxiety if she was afraid I was you know, going to be gone for too long. I could see how happy she was when I got back. I could see when she was scared. You know, I really knew her to be an emotional, sentient creature. And anyone who has a dog or a cat knows that, or a bird or any kind of pet. And I thought, well, what's the difference? And I, and I realized it was just because she was my dog and I knew her. So she wasn't something, she was someone. And so, you know, I think what happens is when we think about animals that are raised for food, we think about the millions and actually billions that are raised, and it becomes this sort of vapor of thought. It, it doesn't have a real face and a personality to it. So I just started picturing Lotsi. What if she was that one pig being marched, you know, through the slaughter line or that chicken being strung up by her legs with her be cut off. And I just thought, my God, I would hate, I would do anything, anything, anything to prevent my dog from going through a hill like that. And I thought, well, if I knew that chicken or if I knew that pig or I knew that cow, I would have the same sense of protection and wanting 
you know, that creature not to suffer. So <clears throat> it's just a matter of pushing out the boundaries past who we know, you know, who is in our immediate sphere. We care about our family. We care about our friends. We care about our pets. But to me, as we evolve, as we become more awake and conscious, it's, it's you know, it's kind of a, um, a growth process to just push out those boundaries of care and concern and consider, you know, the next level of um, beings, whether they're people who we don't necessarily know of a different religion or a different race or whatever, or a species that we're not particularly close to, like pigs or chickens. It's just a matter of pushing out that awareness a little bit farther. That that visual of the chicken did it for me. No more chicken legs. Yeah. <laughs> that 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 was yeah. that was it. No no more. And also, yeah. you know, shortly after I had spoken to you, I was in a fish store, and I I thought I heard this little squeaky sound, and I I looked down and I saw you know the soft shell crabs that you have oh, and they're yeah. live, and which I just think yeah. is awful, or the lobsters yeah. that boil alive, but yeah. and they, they made little little squeaky sounds, and. Uh. And, and I felt so guilty that I was contemplating eating yeah. you know, shrimp yeah. in the next case that I, I could never look them in the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah. no way, I'm not eating that again. So that I did yeah. give up. But if you think about it, as you said, you know, they all belong to, you know, they're, they're living, breathing little creatures. Yeah, yeah. It's, so. and I think if, you know, if it were me, I would, you know, you want someone to bear witness. You want... You want someone to see that you know you're you're this you're a life you know, and you you know you said something about lobsters and and I used to love lobster and then I heard that lobsters mate for life, <laughs> and I thought oh my god they're just they've been pictured oh. you know literally oh. holding claws oh. you know like they're holding hands or something and I just oh. thought my god you know I like you I just had that experience you know I saw. Um, a crab with its legs or the little claws sort of taped together and and struggling. So I thought anything, any being that struggles for life, that's whose impulse is toward life and to avoid death and to avoid pain, that seems like something or someone who deserves to live and certainly not to suffer. So in as much as I can and in as much as I could during this process, I would challenge myself to choose food options that just didn't entail suffering. And I, I, it took me, frankly, two years to completely move away from animal foods and, and live only on plant-based foods. But it was a process that I was comfortable making. You know, I found my way slowly, steadily, surely, and then it was able to stick. Rather than if I just gave up everything at once, I'd be like, at such a loss, like, oh, my God, what do I have for dinner? Uh, it's just overwhelming. Yeah. But when uh, I think slowly, if, if my husband had a choice between giving up a burger or me, I don't think that would even be up for debate. <laughs> I, oh, okay, I, would, but here, I would win. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But, you know, here's the thing about a burger. Um, well, first of all, I would say if there's just one thing you feel like you could just never give up, then that's fine. You know, move away from everything else and keep your sacred burger, and, and if that's the thing that makes you happy. Um, but burgers really aren't necessarily about the meat itself. My bet is that it's about the experience and the tradition of the burger, the buns, the pickles, the ketchup, you know, the relish, the fries on the side, the beer that goes with it. 
So you can still have that burger, but with a veggie burger, it's, I swear, just as good. I feel like I'm cheating when I have a veggie burger, you know. He would know. I just think he has, he can smell a veggie burger from another city, I think. (laughs) I (laughs) feel Well, there's Uh, a great new one called the Beast Burger by uh, the folks at Beyond Meat, and it's uh, it's gluten free. It when you smush it, red stuff comes out, so you think it's that you know bloody juice that you get from a burger. It's got more protein, more iron than actual uh, hamburger meat. So I I bet you, if you tried one of those with your husband, he would not know. He'd love it. I'm gonna try that. Yeah. I will. I will definitely try that. But I think most people think vegan is just short for um, vegetarian. A lot. Of, mm-hmm. Some people do. And then, of course, while you, while vegans do eat vegetables, um, it, it it goes, of course, much much further. And it's not just um, uh, meat, fish, dairy, and eggs. The, the stricter ones, you know, won't eat honey or wear clothing or shoes made from yeah. wool, silk, or leather. So yeah. it, it it goes beyond that. But. <laughs> Um, well, here's is, the thing. That vegetarian means you just don't um, have an animal's flesh. So you don't have chicken or pig or cow, but you do have dairy and eggs. Um, <clears throat> and I was certainly a vegetarian for a while until I learned that, you know, cows have to be impregnated all year round in order to produce milk. And their babies are taken away from them right away when they give birth. And it is the most Oh, my God, there goes sound. the milk. There goes my I dairy. Know, I know. Uh. It was so awful to hear. And then the cows, the mama cows just, you know, they're so distraught because they're so familial. They keep, you know, looking for their babies. And if the oh. calf is born a male, then he's not useful to the dairy industry. So he becomes a veal calf. And, you know, we oh. all hate hate Good. the idea of veal. So when it struck me that eating dairy or drinking milk was actually supporting the veal industry, I thought, okay, like just like you said, there goes my milk, you know. But luckily there's so much great uh, plant-based milk. There's, you know, hemp and soy and, and um, almond and rice and coconut milk, all kinds of things. So it's really not that big of a deal. To- How about goats? Are goats treated hopefully better so they can, I can continue <laughs> to eat their cheese? No, you know, really any animal who is um, used for food is is going to meet a, a, a really awful end because once they stop producing, they are slaughtered for their meat because, you know, they're not going to just release them out to the pastures. It's, it's, it's business, and that's just not possible. So, no, and as far as, as, as the health goes, um, you know, it's it, the studies show that that humans are not meant to consume milk after toddlerhood. You know, we need that growth factor from estrogenic milk to make us grow. But after we're certainly one, one and a half, whatever, we move away from mama's milk. So there's really no reason and it's detrimental to be drinking all that hormone, naturally hormone-laced milk from another species. It just doesn't make sense. It's got a lot of insulin-like growth factor, which I'm sure you know fertilizes cancer cells. So that's the that, way. No more cheese? No more cheddar cheese? Swiss cheese? Nothing? Yeah, Swiss cheese well, from Switzerland. I, I love cheese and crackers. I mean, my ritual is to have happy hour with cheese and crackers, and I just choose, you know, um, Brie from Kite Hill, which is a, uh, my friend Tal Ronin's company. It's just fantastic. 
it's made the exact same way dairy cheese is, you know, the from a um, uh, very tiny, um, you know, thing at first, and then they ferment it, and and the cheese is made, and it's fantastic. So I still enjoy cheese and crackers. I still have, you know, pizza. I make it with daya cheese. It melts really well. I still have creamer in my coffee, but it's soy creamer. So I still enjoy all the stuff that I had with dairy. I just make it a non-animal um, milk. Right, and there are a lot of alternatives. You mentioned veggie burgers, and again, pizza with non-dairy cheese. There's veggie yeah. sausage, yeah. Uh, a, a, a turkey. I think tofurkey is it? Tofurkey. Tofurkey. Yeah, they they're a little. You know, I think they were first to the category, and certainly, I love them for that. And since then, you know, alternative meats have just improved immensely and gotten better and healthier and you know, less processed and, and loaded with protein. And, and so it's it's a burgeoning market right now. I mean, the, the business to be in is one that is about plant-based proteins. Bill Gates is heavily invested in it, and Biz Stone and uh, Lee Kai-shek from, from uh, Korea, billionaire. So, you know, these really very wealthy, astute investors are seeing that if we if we want to... Um, help people be healthier because we're certainly in health crisis in so many countries right now with obesity and type 2 diabetes and heart disease and if we're going to feed the global poor and if we're going to turn climate change around then we have to rethink animal agriculture and livestock because it's so detrimental to all of those things. Yeah, no, and, and the food though, the, the, the vegan type food is certainly getting much better. You know, years ago, gluten-free, you couldn't get a gluten-free pasta. I mean, that was unheard yeah. of. And now, of yeah. course, you can. Um, but isn't there too much soy isn't necessarily good either? Are a lot of the products made with a soy substitute? Um, well, Beyond Meat is gluten-free and, you know, um, there's lots of other, certainly all the plant-based um, milks you can get without soy. Soy right. is just one option. And, and just a word about soy, you know, the longest living cultures in the world, and uh, you know, look at Asia, uh, ate soy for thousands of years, and they didn't have heart disease, they didn't have cancers, right. you know, they didn't have all the it's stuff true. that Americans um, experience. So soy has been around for a long time and really if you look deep into the science it's very beneficial in in preventing cancer and and heart disease and all of that stuff that said you certainly don't need soy you certainly don't mm-hmm. need it so if you have a bad feeling about it there's lots of beans lots of other and things nuts. you can yeah right absolutely now what your personal benefits you mentioned um you've never had a cold since you've gone vegan your skin cleared up um your everything got so much better what are some of the personal benefits that you've experienced becoming vegan? well I had adult acne. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how this happened, but I, I had pimples all over. I used to, to model, and when I was modeling, I, I just I constantly struggled with um, acne. And what I learned was that um, dairy products are full of hormones, naturally occurring. Because remember, if you're, if you're a mother, you know you produce milk, and that milk is loaded with hormones so that your child grows. And so those hormones, not even the added hormones, synthetically added hormones, but naturally occurring, 
are uh, really, you know, expressed through milk and it shows up in your skin. So that's the first thing when I gave up um, dairy is I, I, my skin cleared up, it glows. God, thank you, I've never had a pimple since. I don't get flu shots and I just haven't had the flu in, I don't know, 12 12 years maybe. I don't get colds. But the best thing is, is that I haven't had to worry about my weight. Um, When I moved away from eating animal foods, I dropped probably seven pounds really effortlessly, and I don't have to worry about it. My um, blood sugar came down. My cholesterol came way down, blood pressure, all of that stuff. And I didn't really have to try. So that's been, you know, the the wonderful thing and the energy, you know, I just don't feel bogged down by all that um, sludgy animal protein that doesn't move through your intestines because it doesn't have any fiber. So, right. And your book is all about weight loss made easy too. I'm all about easy. <laughs> I'm all about, you know, and the lean is really about um, what you can add in rather than taking things out. So it's about displacing the foods that make you you know, fat, sick, and tired, and just adding in things that are going to fill you up and make you feel energetic so you don't even feel like something's happening inside of your body, like you don't have to have that white-knuckle discipline. For instance, I just say on one of the days, add an apple a day, and then you do that for the rest of, you know, once you start adding in an apple, every day you have an apple. Well, so when you add in an apple... You now have more fiber in your belly. You are less hungry. You are Your body is releasing the glucose very steadily and slowly, and that keeps your energy steady and strong. And so you make these little moves like adding in two tablespoons of flaxseed a day. All these little things, you're not thinking, oh, I can't have this, I can't have that. All you're saying is, oh, i got to put this in my daily routine now, and now I have to add this in. And then by the time the, um, the, the program has reached its conclusion, your body is biochemically different. Your body is now feeling completely different, and you haven't had to do that, that white-knuckle discipline, which I hate about diets. I hate them because you know you always bounce back. So I didn't want to partake in a program that I knew I would bounce back from. I just wanted to add things in and naturally kind of forget about the bad stuff. And that's what happened. Right. And I love you just said you just have to keep making progress and don't worry about perfection yeah. because that adds just too much stress because exactly. not, none of us is perfect, except maybe Lori. Lori is ah. perfection. <laughs> well, Victor uh, Hugo said that, that uh, perfection is the enemy of the good. And so when we hold out for perfection, we just resign ourselves to it will never happen. And so then we do nothing. And that, that's sort of the, a defeatist mode. So that's why I love you're just, you know, leaning into the better and better. It's, that's the way to do it. And you have a chapter called Change Up Your Cheese, which was dedicated to me, I think. <laughs> that, that, that's when you note that uh, cow's milk is designed to help little teeny-weeny cats grow to 1,000-plus pounds in a very yeah. short amount of time. So, But yeah. how about you mentioned also the consumption of cheese and dairy and obesity. What is the connection with that? Is that um, if you... Well, if you think about a uh, little calf uh, puts on 1,000 pounds really quickly to become a heifer and you know that is from mother's milk that is from 
you know, what we are drinking when we drink a cow's milk, we're getting that kind of growth hormone. We don't want to be heifers. We don't want to be slowly lolling around. We want to be lean and mean and spry and uh, energetic. And so it just doesn't make sense to move to cow's milk once we're done weaning off of our own mother's milk. It does make sense. I was thinking maybe I'll be a heifer if I can eat milk. If I can I drink. Don't know. I give up. I'll, I'll, I'll be willing to be a heifer just for that milk in my tea. But, yeah, but <laughs> oh, sense. try uh, try soy creamer by Silk. It's so good in your tea. I have it in my coffee every morning. It's it mixes really well because I don't like just the plain milks. They're too thin and they don't they don't yeah, mix well. Yeah, it does. But, it's thin. Yeah, and if you don't like soy, there's a coconut creamer that's really good too. I'll have to look for that. Yeah. So what is your favorite? What do you have for breakfast? Um, I usually have uh, oatmeal. I make the oatmeal at night. I just boil four parts water. And once the water is boiling, I put in a cup of steel-cut oats. I turn the heat off. I put a lid on. I go to sleep. When I wake up, I've got a big, you know, pot of oatmeal, and all I have to do is heat it up. And then I'll just chop up either, you know, apples and walnuts or raisins and bananas and almonds or whatever, and I pretty much have that most of the time. Sometimes I have German black bread toasted with a little bit of um, earth-balanced butter, um, you know, just or sometimes I'll have peanut butter and toast. Depends. If I'm traveling, I'll carry like a Bobo's bar. It's a sort of brown rice bar, and, and that's easy. I can I can have it in my hotel room. Breakfast is to me so easy because I just like something you know carby and delicious. And when I say carby, I mean the good carbs, the unrefined carbs. Those are so important for your brain, for your muscles, for your whole system. We need carbs. Um, you just want to make them good carbs. Um, quinoa, brown rice, barley, um, whole grains, sweet potatoes, yams, and the refined carbs are the ones you want to stay away from. White bread, white pasta, cookies, cakes, things like that, chips, things like that. But good carbs, unrefined carbs are really um, wonderful. Even gluten-free. People think, well, it's gluten-free. It's got to be good. But if you read the ingredients, not all of it is good. So you have yeah. to be a little bit aware exactly. of that as well. So what do you use for sweeteners? Because you don't have honey, right? That you can't. I do. I do. Um, yeah. If there are vegans listening, they'll be mad at me, some of them. <laughs> and, um, but again, I, I, you know, it's all a spectrum of you know, how far you want to go. Um, regularly, I don't use honey. If, I, if, there, if there's honey in something, I won't say no to it. But normally I would use stevia to sweeten or um, agave or you know just plain old sugar but i don't i don't use a lot i don't need a lot oh. kathy why to to sort of wrap up a little bit you you had mentioned five easy lifestyle suggestions that we mm-hmm. can put on our refrigerators kathy preston's words words suggestions to live by you mentioned a few of them but perhaps you can wrap them up for us starting with you had mentioned eat an apple a day Oh, well, you can eat an apple a day, and that um, that's just going to fill you up with fiber, and there's so many great antioxidants. You can drink eight glasses of water a day, and um, specifically right before meals, like 20 minutes before a meal, because 
every system in your body needs to be hydrated, and that includes your metabolism. And so water just makes you feel full and clean, and and, um, that's a really good thing to start up with. Two tablespoons of ground flaxseed is so wonderful in preventing prostate and breast cancer and um, filled with omega-3s, tons of uh, fibers, really good for you. Um, Eat breakfast every day because your body goes into starvation mode and if you're not eating breakfast, your body is holding on to calories and you want to spend those calories. You want to stoke the machine and keep it going. And then you want to you you want to move away from um, animal foods as much as you can, replacing them with beans and legumes like black beans, chickpeas, um, nuts, and nut butter because you're getting really high quality protein without all the saturated fat and cholesterol that comes along with animal protein. I do. I have one more note, and it says one of the tips is switch up your milk. But I'm glad you left that out. You left that out for my benefit. (laughs) Sure. Well, you know how I feel about milk, and I know we we know such an an easy one. You know, I'd almost ethically, uh, you know, what what the cow goes through is is so hard to digest that it's it's one that you want to consider on the sooner side rather than the later side. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and that and the chicken. No more chicken legs, and and I think slowly, Uh, no, no no more dairy. Yeah. I'd like to to end this um, this segment, if I might, with something that you had said that really resonated with me. And if you if you don't mind, I'd like to read it because it's so okay. so brilliantly said. I think the goal of life is to grow to our highest and best potential, to challenge ourselves to move past the little addictions and attachments, whether that means in terms of food or habits or thoughts. When we make serious efforts to become kinder, more loving, and more healthy, we demonstrate our willingness to rise. And that willingness sets us on a path that opens our heart, connects us to all of life, and allows us to be vessels of healing. So we not only become our personal best, but we also contribute to making the world a better place for us all, taking one little step at a time. And that is very brilliant, and it's really what we try to do here better than before. So thank you, Kathy. Aww, thank you. For your Jane. wonderful you. words, um, and it's so nice to have you back here again. I love talking to you guys. Thank you. Where can we find you? Where can our listeners find you? Uh, www.kathyfreston.com. That's Freston with an F, or my books are available online, Amazon, or any bookstore. Thank you again. Thank you. Come back, come back soon, and I'll give you a progress report on my dairy and, and chickens. Oh, good. Okay, <laughs> just lean into it. <laughs> I, will, I will lean into it. Thanks again. Everyone Thank stay you. with us. After the break, we'll be back with Dr. Alice Boyce. You're listening to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show on iHeartRadio Talk. Stay with us. We'll be back. This portion of the Jane Wilkins Michael Show is brought to you by Express Scripts. Express Scripts oversees 1.4 billion pharmacy claims each year. On behalf of employers, health plans, unions, and government health programs, Express Scripts works to make the use of prescription drugs safer and more affordable for the 100 million Americans they serve. Understanding that better decisions lead to healthier outcomes, Express Scripts helps patients make the best drug choices and health choices possible. 
Their disease-specific pharmacists are here to help you better understand your prescribed therapy, lower your overall health care costs, and, ultimately, stay on the path to better health. For more information, visit ExpressScripts.com. Want to know where you can hear Jane Wilkins Michael's show better than before? Well, that's easy. You can tune in to Jane via Clear Channel's iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and at bmajor.org. Now, back to Jane Wilkins Michael and Better Than Before. Welcome back, everyone. We are on the air live. You're listening to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show on iHeartRadio Talk. I'm here with Lori, as always. And now I would like to introduce you to Dr. Alice Boys, who is the author of the Anxiety Toolkit, Strategies for Fine-Tuning Your Mind and Moving Past your stuck points. Dr. Boyes also writes the popular in-practice blog for Psychology Today, and her research has been published by the American Psychological Association. Welcome, Dr. Boyes. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. You know, my feeling is just like you can't have too many shoes, um, there can't be enough advice written about ways to conquer anxiety. And I'm always very truthful, and I know, Dr. Boyes, you and I have spoken before. I'm very truthful to both my listeners and my readers, and I tell them about my own kind of psychic struggles, as it were, um, be it my hypochondria or an urge to either tear out my hair or my husband's hair <laughs> when I'm feeling particularly stressed. Um, you know, I, I'm, um, I, I am just by nature anxious, and of course, Lori can give references to that. And But my husband is exactly the opposite. He could manage to sleep soundly in a dunking booth. Um, and, you know, we know, um, and as you know, Dr. Boyes, if you said that uh, reducing your anxiety level to zero is not possible, um, just ask Lori, who has to work with me. <laughs> but, um, and some anxiety can even be helpful. Um, but tell me, Dr. Boyes, am I the only person who thinks that I am but one unfortunate incident away from total insanity? <laughs> or, or is that sort of normal to feel in this day and age? Yeah, and anxiety certainly is an extremely uh, extremely common problem. So when I was in clinical practice, uh, which I used to be in New Zealand before I turned my hand to, to the sort of writing side of things, it was the most common problem that people would come and see me for. And then for some other people, they wouldn't even realize that anxiety was what was underlying their issues, so that they would come with something like relationship problems and would have lots of irritability would come with depression and weren't recognizing that anxiety was also a big issue for them. So it certainly is a very prevalent problem and it's something that's, that's interesting because it, it often has a, it's just a temperament component as well as a, an episodic component. So you have the odd, the odd person come along who gets an anxiety disorder kind of out of the blue and doesn't remember having been anxious through their childhood or through their earlier life. But for a lot of people, it's something that, that flares up in response to stress or in response to changes like changing changing jobs or um, becoming a parent or those kind of role transitions. Uh, but that many people recognize that they've had that anxious temperament their whole life. And one of the things I've tried to do with the book is to help especially those people who, you know, like you and like me, have an anxious temperament where we, you know, we need strategies that we're going to be able to use on a long-term basis rather than just a, a one-shot-and-done type 
uh, scenario for getting over a particular uh, anxiety-provoking situation. It has to be long-term. You know, interestingly enough, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association, of which I might add I'm a charter member, (laughs) anxiety disorders are collectively the most common mental illness in the United States, and they affect 40 million American adults, uh, or basically 18% of the, of the population, and I'm sure that figure grows every year. And interestingly, um, twice as many women report suffering from anxiety disorders as men. Um, why is just given our hormones and, and moods, why is it that it affects women more than men? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure that we have a really great answer on that so far. We, we don't, not, I'm not sure that we, we really know that conclusively, and, and the, you know, the things that people speculate are all you know, the kinds of things you would imagine, biological causes and, and you know, women needing to, ju- to juggle so many different roles and the, the fact that men may react to... Uh, with more anger rather than anxiety or making to, to drugs and alcohol more, all of those kinds of explanations. Yeah, and I think, as you said, women are, are more stressed. They, it, it's, it's very overwhelming because you have to combine, um, in, in some cases, a career with, with, with motherhood, and even if it's just a career, you have to constantly fight and, and, you know, for, for getting noticed and, and getting ahead, I think, if, if you're a woman. Um, in, in many instances. So, I mean, I think we're basically more stressed in general. And I think stress uh, leads many times to anxiety. But it, anxiety comes in different forms. You know, there's the generalized anxiety, which you constantly worry about everything. <laughs> Hello. Um, and then there are the, the compulsive, obsessive-compulsive disorders, the OCD, the panic disorders, the post-traumatic stress. There's so many of them. Um but and then they, the phobias, you know, the fear of driving and 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 losing control in public places, the the need to be perfect, which is not actually one of my personal issues. Um, so uh, you know, let's go over some of them. In the general anxiety, um, how does that work? You just sort of feel uncomfortable, and you you're just everything sort of overwhelms you. Yeah. So lots of uh, lots of people have more than one problem. So. As well as there being a lot of common themes across different types of anxiety, there's also a huge overlap between anxiety and depression and anxiety and eating disorders and the anxiety and relationship distress and all of those things. And there are lots of similar similar mechanisms. So things show up on the surface, but they but underlying all of those common problems tends to be similar mechanisms, one of which is avoidance coping. So where people avoid the the things that trigger their anxiety and then their react then that avoidance causes their anxiety to actually increase. Um, so with with generalized anxiety disorder, people find themselves with, with uncontrollable worry. They often find themselves having lots of physical symptoms like lots of aches and pains and they find themselves uh, doing so checking and like you know looking up information online kind of in a compulsive way or doing a lot of compulsive reassurance seeking where they, where the person feels absolutely desperate to get reassurance from somebody over over something in a way that they often know feels feels a bit like a runaway train like doesn't feel like it's logical to them necessarily 
it has that kind of compulsive feeling to it. And when you have anxiety, you can feel almost like you're having a heart attack. I mean, it it has all the physical manifestations of, you know, the racing pulse, sometimes the the perspiring, the the, the feeling of losing your, you know, your your hands become cold, your heart beats faster. So it can actually have physical um, as well as mental um, an effect on you, can can it? Yeah, there are lots and lots of uh, different physical symptoms. So there's a, there's a full-on panic attack, which is a short and sharp uh, type thing, and that's where people often feel like they're having a heart attack. But there's also, uh, for people that have, uh, have a lower level of heightened anxiety where they feel uh, physical symptoms kind of regularly, but not at that not with that short, short and sharp intensity. And then, of course, there's also um, lots of overlap between the physical symptoms of stress and anxiety that have a, that are partly, that are, that are more physical on the surface. So, for example, that I get eczema that flares up when I'm, um, when I'm doing something sort of new. So it doesn't, re- doesn't seem to matter whether it's, it's new and exciting or new and stressful. Um, in fact, it probably turns up more when it's something that's new and exciting. Uh, but because it's got because there's that anxiety component to doing something new that shows up. So, um, or it might be sort of repetitive stress type things that uh, that manifest. Where if a person's anxious about a big project that they're undertaking and they're doing a lot of typing, or those kinds of things, that that just, you know there is just huge overlap between the between physical stuff and emotional stuff. Yeah. Now let's say you it, basically what what I like to do is stop it before it starts, and and sometimes that's hard because if you're thinking about it, then you know you then you're focusing on that instead of something else, and you're giving it I think too much attention. <laughs> then then it kind of you know it 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 says to you, well you know I'm I'm here, I'm not going away. Now how do you stop it before we get into the why advanced, uh, anxiety? could um, have an evolutionary advantage as well, which you discuss in your book. Let's talk about stopping the, uh, some of it, let let me backtrack a little bit. Some of it is natural. If you're going to a meeting or if you're going to give a speech or if you're um, at at a party, you don't know anyone, that, that sort of fluttery stomach and those nerves, they're kind of, you know, expected because your adrenaline is is going but i think when the adrenaline gets a little misplaced that's the frightening part and you don't know it kind of hits you from out of the blue how do you work with that to calm yourself down and even before you have the meeting or before you you you're going to the party or giving the speech what are some of the um what are some of the things that you can do to kind of get yourself in a calmer state so maybe you don't get the anxiety to begin with yeah, well, I mean, if you do have the anxiety, then then understanding, like if, if it's already come on, then understanding what's going on for you physically can be hugely helpful. So, you know, one of the things um, that I've uh, found helpful is just knowing that after you get a, after you get a big, you know, sort of anxiety and adrenaline response, you'll often have, um, you'll often have numbness, like feelings of numbness, and you'll often have major feelings of aches and pains afterwards, like almost like you've got the flu or something like that. And so just knowing that, for example, that numbness is part of an anxiety response. It's your body doing what it's supposed to do, which is it's moving blood 
to the central parts of your, your body, your heart and things, and it's moving it away from the peripheries of your body. And part of the reason that it does that is because the idea is that if we were in a anxious because we were in a fight, if we were in a fearful situation, we were in a fight, it was better to have less blood, but you're not you're not going to bleed out as much um, if you have an injury to an extremity. So all of these things have an evolutionary, helpful evolutionary component to them. So things like uh, things like goosebumps. We have you see goosebumps in cats when their hair stands on end and they arch their backs, and that's to make them look scarier to predators. And of course, humans don't have long hair on their arms and legs anymore. But it's the same. It's the same mechanism. You know, we share it with parts of the animal kingdom. So knowing all of those things about what's involved, what what the what happens with an anxiety response can make you less scared of getting one because you know that it's just it's something that's quite natural and that things like numbness are not something to freak out about. You know, they don't. You know, they don't typically mean you're having a stroke or you know, anything like that. Once you kind of get used to your own anxiety symptoms, you learn to recognize them a bit more. And, and also, the, the, uh, and the sense of losing control. I think that's also a big, people complain about that. I feel like I'm going to do something I don't want to do. I mean, not that you would, because why would you? But you have that feeling of, you know, let's say you're driving. I heard a lot of people say, well, I feel like I can, you know, go off the road or, or uh, drive in the wrong side of the, the highway. But why do these thoughts come to mind? And then when you feel that, what do you do to calm yourself down? These odd yeah. thoughts that make no sense whatsoever. So there's some really interesting those odd thoughts that people that people think about. So some of them are really really common. One um, driving related thoughts are really common where people worry about doing odd odd things while driving, like um, you know, driving in a way that ends up harming someone, even though that's not there. You know, even though they've got a normally cautious nature, or those kinds of things, or things related to babies or harming children or harming someone else. Like all of a sudden. Yeah, feeling like all of a sudden you could start being physically abusive to someone or that you could plunge a knife into somebody. When those, those kinds of thoughts are actually way, way more common than, than anyone ever talks about. Uh, and, and the research is born, the research bears that out. There's actual research showing, showing that, but yet no one ever talks about having those thoughts. The only association we have with those kinds of thoughts is those horrible, uh, horrible trial, murder trial type news items that come up you know, every few years. Someone actually did it. <laughs> I guess that's the feeling. You know, people do it. Someone does take a knife and stab someone else. So what? Why? What keeps you? But I guess your your rational thinking person would say, well, obviously you're not going to do it. They they disassociate the actual actions with the thoughts. So they, they it's just a thought. The thoughts can come and go, but it has no real uh, meaning. Um, because as yeah. they say, if you're actually going to do it, you don't really think about it. You just do it, right? <laughs> yeah. As, as I said, my husband would say, what is it? Psychotic and, and neurotics, Bill Castle's in the sky and psychotics actually live in them. So yeah, um, exactly. Like the people that, the people that worry that they're going to do those kinds of things aren't the, aren't the people that, that are actually, that are actually going to do it. Know. Right. Yeah. Um, now, you mentioned in your book, when you worry about something, try considering three scenarios. One is the best case, the worst case, and then the most likely. And answering these three will help keep your thoughts balanced. So can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so that's probably something that I use all the time. Um, 
there, so we're kind of getting back to your earlier question, which I didn't properly answer, is this idea that you have, you know, you have strategies that you use for when the anxiety arrives, and then you have basically like emotional hygiene strategies that you use to keep things in check. And one of the one of the really useful things you can do is to train your brain to think a little bit differently. So an anxious person's brain, someone that's anxious by, by nature, is going to automatically think of the worst things that could go, could go wrong in a situation. Or they're automatically going to think that their actions will have negative consequences. So not necessarily thinking of a catastrophe, although sometimes thinking of a catastrophe, but thinking kind of like, if I reach out to this person that I don't know and pitch them an idea, they're probably not going to want to hear from me, or they'll probably think that I'm spamming them, or just a general expectation, if I apply for this, I'll probably get turned down. If I ask my boss for a job, it will probably, um, he'll probably get really annoyed and it will ruin the working environment. So when you have those negative expectations of what's going to happen, just asking yourself, oh, like taking, taking that, but also asking yourself what's the best thing that could possibly happen and what's the most realistic thing that could happen. And you can either you can either ask all those three questions or you can just do worst and best. However you want to do it, it's fine. There's no there are no hard and fast rules about how you have to do this stuff. You do it in the way that works best for you. And what that does is it just helps train your brain not not so you you undo your your nature. So you still if you if you've got if you're wired a certain way, you're always going to think first about the negative, but you can get it to a point where it's almost automatic that after you think of the negative, you then think of the potential upside that could happen from taking a risk or stepping out of your comfort zone. And, and you know, another another domain that you can do that in is, like, is personalizing things. So noticing that maybe your natural reaction is always to be sensitive, so always to assume that, for example, if someone takes a long time to reply to an email or seems a little bit funny in an email, the tone is off. When you think those things, then automatically considering that there could be a lot of other possibilities and you might never know what the reason was, but chances are the reason isn't anything to do with you. So it's not undoing that initial thought, but it's it's almost like that initial thought begins to then trigger the the second thought that you've trained yourself to have. That's interesting. So you can retrain your brain because that, that is very common. You know, if you don't get an email back like five seconds later, you think, oh, my God, what did I do? You know, or they don't. And then you have to think, well, they're just busy. You know, I think that's that that makes it um, so you, as that that would be an example. So you think the worst that they they hate me. They don't want to talk to me. And then you think, um the be- that oh they're just busy and the most the most likely is is uh, or or the best would be gee they don't know how to say that you know I'm getting a, a three hundred thousand dollar advance <laughs> and they're just trying to check with their lawyers to make sure that they can say it before they let me know or that or the most logical is that they're busy you know so so those yeah, are the and three sometimes things it's, sometimes it's because someone's waiting on information right they've got something that they want to tell you but they're waiting on it to be confirmed from somebody else. So, so one of the things you can notice is all of the reasons why you might be slow to reply to an email. And, and you know, it's because something comes up in your day or it's because you read the email and then get distracted 
and end up doing something else. And we all know that, like, if you don't reply to something straight away, there's so many emails, 20 more emails come in, and then so it's down in the inbox, and then you kind of just forget about it. Or, you know, if, so if you tune into all the different reasons that it, that, that you might not reply to an email straight away, you start to recognize that those, can, those are the likely reasons for other people as well. Yeah, and I also think chronic anxiety is becoming endemic in our society because in a large part, um, we are very, you know, materially based, spiritually imbalanced. We have it in our Western culture. And and we tend to focus almost exclusively on, on lack and, neg- and negativity. Um, and, and this phenomenon, I think, is highly exacerbated through technology and, of course, mass media that you also discuss in your book, and and a resulting mass consciousness that creates uh, an aura of, of an energy of gloom and disaster almost 24-7, which I think doesn't help our mental state. And, and yeah. you talk a lot about... Um, um, social media and how that triggers the um, anxiety. Can you talk about this a little bit? Yeah, so you know, being, uh, you know, just kind of coming back to some of your other points, for example, I don't watch the news at all. I don't watch or read any kind of news because it's all negative. And my my uh, wiring is that it's too hard for me to process. It's just too, it's too um, heavy to process. So I just don't, you know, I just don't read any kind of news or newspapers. Uh, or news reports. So, you know, part of it is knowing yourself and knowing that if you're someone that that's going to be, where that's going to be something healthier for you. And then you've also got like all the pressure of all the helicopter parenting stuff and, and, and that kind of thing that's really, the social pressures that are really anxiety provoking. And then with the issues with email and social media are uh, that all the context cues are stripped out of that kind of conversation. So, you know, we all reply to email. You know, we reply to email from bed or the bathroom or the line at the supermarket or you know when we're stopped at a red light or those kinds of things. You never know what moment that you're catching someone in when they when they're responding to an email. One of the things that you know, having been a therapist for um, for for a long time is that you learn that you never, you know until you really know someone well, you don't you you never know from the surface what is going on in someone's life that might cause them to be to have a funny sort of reaction to, to something. And you know, people do write, a lot of people write really quickly when they're responding to something on Facebook or that, that type of thing. And stuff does come across kind of weird a lot of the time. And that can be oh. very triggering for people. Now let's uh, talk a little bit, Dr. Alice, about how anxiety works for benefit. So anxiety is fundamentally a useful mechanism. So one of the big trends in psychology at the moment is this recognition that all of these um, emotions that we that we think of as quote unquote negative emotions actually have a, a positive purpose, and the only issue is when the volume on them gets turned up too high. So we have this anxiety. Our anxiety system is a hyper vigilant system, so it's designed to make us put us on the lookout for danger. So it's designed to get triggered off when there might be a danger in the environment, where our fear system is more about if, there's, if there is a danger in the environment, that you, you actually see a bear and you start running away, whereas anxiety is on to put you on the lookout for danger. And we're wired so that it's very difficult to distract yourself when that 
turned on because if you could distract yourself from it easily, it wouldn't be very good because you would end up doing that and then missing these real dangers. And the system is calibrated so that that, that false alarms are much less dangerous than than, miss, than, than than missing something, missing a danger that's really there. So it's built into the system that if it, you know, it can't be perfectly accurate, it's going to it's going to err on the side of having more false alarms where something where you get anxious and it turns out to be nothing, then where you miss you miss something that was actually important. You end and up getting eaten by a bear. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. That is and, true. Yeah. Yeah, and for people who who develop anxiety who who have anxiety issues, like you have an anxious temperament, if you think about how it's kind of good in humanity for us to have some people who are really bold and some people who are really cautious. It's good for us to have some people who are always thinking about the best things that could happen and some people are always thinking about the worst things that could happen and are, and are saying kind of, hold on, let's think about this before we leap forward into the unknown. And then it's good to have you know, a few people at the extremes and then lots of people in the middle of those two extremes. But having that cognitive diversity is actually a really good thing. Uh, of course, you know, in saying that, an anxiety disorder is a really unpleasant thing to have, and that's where your system has got really out of whack and needs to be calibrated. It needs to be re- you need some help to recalibrate that system, and there, and there are amazing treatments available for for anxiety. I would um, I would I would rather treat anxiety than than. I, I, I don't practice clinically anymore, but when I did practice clinically, I would it was it was always, it always felt much easier to treat anxiety than it did to treat depression. And you'd love me as a as a patient that <laughs> you would have loved me, doctor. So if you I don't mind, because you, you you're you're curious, right? You yeah, know, you no, I am curious, work. and I want to. You yeah. know, it just it, it does. I get it when I'm overwhelmed and things are sort of out of control. I think that's when I get anxious because, as you said, you can't really put your finger on it. And, and I like things to 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 be in order. And I think when things are out of line, as it were, that's that's when I get uncomfortable. So, doctor, let's say um, we we not let's say let's do you know we want to take some lifestyle advice. Home, put it home with us, our listeners. Take home advice, takeaway advice. What are some quick tips that you can share uh, with them and with all of us, including perhaps a couple of lifestyle tips as well? Yeah, so the basic sort of thing to say about this, caveat to say with quick tips, is that different things work for different people and things wear off. So you, you might use a strategy and it might work really well for a while, but then you might get to a point where it's not working that well and you want to switch it up and try something else. And there's no kind of best three or best six anxiety tips for everybody because they're going to vary depending on on you and your and your personality and your situation and all of those kinds of things, your preferences. So you really want to personalize it and experiment with, with what works best for you. You can, it's good to have, so there are, Anxiety has physical components, thinking components, emotional components, and behavioral components. And you want to have some strategies of each type. You might have, you might be someone that prefers cognitive strategies. You might be someone that prefers physical strategies. So the physical strategies are things like either exercising or slow breathing, yoga, mindfulness meditation, that type of thing, or all of those kinds of things that 
make it yoga. The, the positive effect of yoga largely comes from the, the slow the slow breathing that comes along with it. Another tip would be to be aware of avoidance coping, so that notice when you're avoiding something that would make you anxious, and almost always that's going to increase your anxiety in the in the long term. So avoidance coping is one of the things, one of the main causes of why anxiety can snowball into a larger problem. So when you find yourself avoiding, you've really got to figure out a way of overcoming that avoidance and it might just just be doing something really small toward a bigger task. So if you've got this huge project and you're procrastinating, maybe it's just writing one email or making one phone call or doing one small little thing. It might be gathering gathering together all the papers that you need or something super small that takes you know under under five minutes or under fifteen minutes that you can do to get started and overcome that initial avoidance so that you can that you can climb out of that because avoidance coping really is such an important common factor in all of the anxiety disorders eating disorders depression and you know when you can be someone who who doesn't have that tendency who turns that tendency around you'll find that you have a lot of relief from your symptoms. And doctor, do you feel cutting out things like caffeine or sometimes alcohol or exercising more, do you think that the lifestyle choices, that that plays a big part in your anxiety level? Yeah, for some people, like you really have to, you really have to experiment and see what's really important for you. So some people might be able to get away with, with, with caffeine. For other people, it might be the absolutely essential for them to cut out caffeine and the, and the same with alcohol it's really kind of figuring out for you personally what are the uh, what are the absolute essentials that you need to do to keep to keep things ticking over and and that's going to vary from person to person yeah and and I think to to think now thinking more positive thoughts in general. I mean, to look at it in a more positive, look at life in a more positive way. And I always think be grateful. Gratitude is important because, you know, um, if if you just never are satisfied with where you are, you're never going to be happy because there's always going to be another, someone else who's more money or more successful or better looking. And I, I think you have to kind of stop and say, you know, I'm okay. I'm okay today and I feel good. And, and I, I think it's important to give yourself a little credit along the way, which I think many of yeah. us don't do. Gratitude naturally decreases your sense of threat. And anxiety is all about sense of threat. But anything that you can do to feel less of a, more of a sense of abundance, less of a sense of threat, and more of a sense of connection with other people is going to decrease those feelings of isolation and threat, which is going to really decrease anxiety. Doctor, where can we find your book? Tell us the title again and where we can find it. The Anxiety Toolkit, and it's available at all the normal places that the books are sold, so online and in your favorite independent bookstore, and pretty much everywhere has it for, for sale at the moment. Do you have a website that can, our listeners can also check? Yeah, I have um, theanxietytoolkit.com. It's kind of a companion site for the book, so there are various resources mentioned in the books that are included on that site. It has a quiz on that, that site as well. And then I also have my Psychology Today blog. So if you Google my name, Alice Boyd's Psychology Today, you'll come up with, with over 100 posts that I've written for Psychology Today. And then I also have my personal site, which is aliceboys.com. Boys is B-O-Y-E, the elephant. Yes, for San Francisco. Thank and, you so uh, much for being 
with us. We are very happy to have you. I have put your number on speed dial immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, thanks so much, everyone. That's our show. Thank you, Lori, as always. And thank you all for listening. This is Jane Wilkins Michael. I will see you next week. Until then, be wise, be well, be better than before. Have a question for Jane and want to be on the next Better Than Before show? Drop us a line via instant feedback at bmajor.org. The Jane Wilkins Michael Show is brought to you by Express Scripts and is produced by Major Radio for Clear Channel's iHeartRadio and bmajor.org.